We need to see and recognize the kindness of God, the faithfulness of God in all this. He is faithful in his care for his children. He remembers us. He sees our tears. He hears our cries. And he has a heart of compassion toward us. You're listening to Encounter the Truth with Jonathan Griffiths, and we're continuing our series through the book of Genesis today, coming to Genesis chapter 21. And for those who maybe are in a season right now of suffering, and they can relate to the shedding of tears, it sounds like we're in store for a message of, of hope and of comfort today. That's, that's for sure. This is a lovely story and a lovely section in the Genesis narrative and in the life of Abraham and Sarah, in that the promised child, the long-awaited child, is given to them. And they've, they've spent decades waiting for Isaac's arrival. God has promised his arrival. There have been all kinds of ups and downs in their life story before Isaac has come to them. But in this chapter, we see the promises of God fulfilled, and we see the kindness of God displayed to this elderly couple in a very, very wonderful way. You know, sometimes we can read this account and be quick to maybe judge Abraham and Sarah, some of the ways that they did not wait well. But waiting, I think, is one of the real struggles that we may have to face, or that we will face, honestly, in the Christian life. Jonathan, how do we wait well? Well, waiting is very, very difficult. Uh, we, we struggle to wait for anything. We struggle from childhood to wait for things that we're looking forward to. And as adults, we maybe hide it slightly better, but we don't like waiting very much. But fundamental to the Christian life is to learn to wait. We are a waiting people. We're waiting to be taken home to be with the Lord. We're waiting for the Lord Jesus to return. We're waiting for the fulfillment of the plans and purposes of, of God set out for us in the scriptures. And the saints of old, the heroes of the faith in the scripture, they had to learn to wait, and they struggled with that. And we see the ups and downs of waiting in the life of Abraham and the life of Sarah. But we also see within their story the faithfulness of God, that he, he didn't forget his promises, he didn't give up on them, even as they struggled to wait well. He was entirely faithful. And I think walking with them through that process of waiting teaches us to wait well as we trust in the promises of God. Well, we are going to look at God's faithfulness today as we begin a message from Genesis chapter 21. It's called The God of Astounding Faithfulness. Here is Jonathan. I don't know if you have this particular person in your life, perhaps as a colleague or a friend or a relative, but, but let me describe this person to you. This is the person you, you like and you appreciate, perhaps whom you love, whose company you enjoy well enough, but also the person upon whom you know you cannot rely, at least not 100%. They say they're, they're booking time for you on Thursday, well, they, they might show or they might not show. Don't hold your breath. You, you, you bought a joint present with them for, for someone else, and they owe you their 50%. You put it on your credit card, but you know you might as well write off that money now because you probably won't see it. There's a job that they committed to do, but you know you better be ready to do it yourself. In this relationship, you always need to have a backup plan. You always have to kind of manage things and organize things, and you always got to be prepared for disappointment. 
Many of us may have someone a little like that in our lives, or at least we have experienced a relationship a little bit like that at some point in our lives. I mention that dynamic. I raise it to our consciousness because I think there is a very real danger that you and I will treat God like that person in our lives. We like Him. We, we love Him. We enjoy His company. We value the relationship, but we always feel a little bit better if we have a backup plan, if we manage things on our own terms, in our own ways, if we hold on to control in the relationship. We've never had cause to doubt Him, of course, but we've had enough experience of disappointment with others to think it's better to be safe than sorry. We do that easily enough, I fear. And the story of Abraham and Sarah, within this story, we've actually seen these great heroes of the faith do precisely this, treat God in precisely this way, and we've seen the pattern repeated again and again. We've seen them try and do God's work for Him, trying to fulfill His promise of a child and a family through their own scheming, overcoming Sarah's barrenness by taking her servant to be a wife for Abraham. We've seen Abraham trying to provide for his own protection through deceit, first in Egypt a quarter of a century before, and then just recently in the previous chapter in the Negev, where once again he pretended that Sarah was merely his sister, not his wife. But at every turn, God has been patient to teach these servants of his that they can trust him fully, that they must trust him entirely, and they must allow him to do his work in his way. Well, now here in our chapter today, in the incidents of this account, God puts the final nail in the coffin of that way of relating to him, and he shows them and he shows us that we can trust him entirely, that we must trust him fully. He shows us that he is faithful in every way. The faithfulness of God, it headlines the chapter. It's so clearly the theme right from the get-go. Notice it again with me in verse 1. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. This God, he, he's faithful. This God, he is trustworthy. He can be relied upon. That's the big lesson of the chapter. And I think that in our uncertain days, days of tremendous chaos and tremendous fearfulness, we need the reminder and we need the lesson more than ever before. We see the faithfulness of God operating at two different levels in this chapter, and I want to kind of separate them out and treat them one at a time. We see God's faithfulness at work both in the practicalities of life and we see his faithfulness at work in the promises of salvation. Let's start with the faithfulness of God in the practicalities of life. As many of you know, as I've shared before, we lived in England before moving here to Ottawa. Like Canada, England has a state-funded health system called the National Health Service, the NHS. Now, it is often said of the NHS, and I, I don't know if this is entirely true and entirely fair, but it's often said that it is a good health system if you are really, really sick. If you are sort of knocking on eternity's door with a life-threatening condition, you're going to get world-class care. But don't expect too much if you go in with a broken toe or a runny nose. Now, I think we can sometimes fall into a trap of imagining that God is a little bit like that stereotype of the NHS for us. We, we imagine that he will help us when we are knocking on eternity's door, but not if we have stubbed our toe. His interest in us, his concern for us 
extends basically to getting us to heaven in the end if we belong to Jesus. He will save us from the fires of judgment. We're certainly thankful for that. But as for the details of life in this world, life between now and the time when our days will come to an end, as for this in-between period, we more or less need to fend for ourselves. Now, we may not articulate things quite so starkly, but I think many of us slip into thinking and operating in those kind of terms. But one of the great delights of chapter 21 of Genesis, one of the great comforts of this portion of the story of Abraham is that it highlights for us God's very practical concern, His practical care, His practical provision for the family of faith. We see it from a few different angles here. On the most basic level, we see God's provision in the fact that Abraham and Sarah are actually now in a position to resume family life in chapter 21. Last chapter, they risked absolutely everything in their unwise dealings with Abimelech. Abraham, he really could have lost Sarah. He could have faced the anger. He could have faced the murderous wrath of a pagan king for his deceit. Chapter 20 could have ended in complete tragedy. It could have been the end of the Abraham story. But here we are in chapter 21, and the story is still moving forward. Abraham and Sarah, they still have each other despite the sinful risks that they took. And you know, that is just God's kindness, His extraordinary kindness. How many times we do things, perhaps not as dramatic as what Abraham did in chapter 20, but how many times do you and I make unwise decisions that place ourselves and our loved ones at risk? A moral decision that could cost us dearly, a financial decision that was reckless, a decision on the roads to drive too quickly when under time pressure, a decision about another type of risk that on reflection was the wrong decision. And and I think we're just spiritually naive if we don't look back and recognize the hand of God in protecting us every day. That's not to say He guards us from every peril. No, awful things do happen. Tragedy does strike. We know that. But it is to say that God is actively involved in our care and our protection all the time. And we can't begin to imagine how many perils He has kept us from. And the very fact that Abraham and Sarah actually do reach chapter 21 as they do, a family unit still intact, it is only due to the sheer kindness of God. And then we come to this wonderful gift of a child. Now, there are huge salvation implications for Isaac's coming, and we're going to turn to those and consider those in a moment. But I want to just think about the human aspect here for a moment, even the emotional aspect. Here are a couple that have been longing for a child for decades. No doubt, crying out to the Lord to lift from them this burden of childlessness. In in many cases, of course, God will not choose to answer prayers of that kind in the way that we might hope. And some listening will know the pain of that very, very well. But in the gift of Isaac, we do see the care and the compassion of God. After all these years, after all this heartache, after all this waiting, verse 2, and Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. Wonderful words. This elderly couple, they could hardly believe the joy that was there. In fact, it brought laughter to them. In keeping with the instruction of God, they named this child Isaac, verse 3, which means he laughs. And and it's, it's laughable in a joyful sense. 
Remember verse 5, Abraham, he's 100 years old at this point. And so Sarah exclaims, verse 6, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children, yet I have borne him a son in his old age? And so now, now this elderly couple, they have a, the joy of throwing a baby shower at this point in their lives, verse 8. And just picture it. Just imagine the scene. There's a party. There's a, there's a wonderful celebration. Maybe some of their friends and their contemporaries are pushing walkers rather than baby carriages, strollers of their own when they arrive for this party. It's come about 75 years later than all the other baby showers of their friends. But the party is on. We need to see and recognize the kindness of God, the, the compassion of God, the faithfulness of God in all this. Abraham and Sarah, they have, they have a big role to play in God's salvation plan. It stretches well beyond themselves and well beyond their lifetime, but they were also at the same time ordinary human beings with longings and gifts and griefs and burdens of heart. They were real people. And God's kindness to them, it just reminds us that He is faithful. He is faithful in His care for His children. He remembers us. He sees our tears. He hears our cries. And He has a heart of compassion toward us. Now, that's not to say that He's going to fulfill every longing for us in this life. Of course not. But He's so faithful and kind in His provision. You're listening to Encounter the Truth with Jonathan Griffiths and a message called The God of Astounding Faithfulness. It's part of a larger series we're calling The Blessing. Today, really taking a look at Genesis chapter 21. Hope you will stay with us because we're going to get back to the message in just a moment. But if you miss any part of a broadcast or you miss one in its entirety, you want to go back and uh, check out what you missed, you can always do that by coming to our website. It's EncounterTheTruth.org. And there you can stream the program or download an MP3 for free. Again, that's at EncounterTheTruth.org. Back to the message. Here is Jonathan. The, the story takes what feels like a bit of a darker turn in the midst of the celebration. Amidst this joyful hubbub of, of the party that's going on, Sarah catches something out of the corner of her eye. It turns out that she's not the only one laughing at this turn of events. Her joyful laughter is echoed by, by a mocking laughter. You see it there in verse 9. But Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had born to Abraham, laughing. So she said to Abraham, cast out this slave woman with her son, for the son of this slave woman shall not be heir with my son Isaac. Abraham, he's not, he's not keen to honor that request. But the Lord tells him, go and do that. At the same time, the Lord adds his provision of kindness. Yes, Isaac is the heir through whom the promises will come. But, verse 13, I will make a nation of the son of the slave woman also because he is your offspring. On the morning of Hagar and Ishmael's departure, Abraham gets up early, no doubt, with a, with a heavy heart. He prepares a skin of water and some bread. He gives it to Hagar. He sends her away with the boy, with their son. And you can just imagine all the emotions within the heart of Abraham that morning. Guilt, sadness, conflicted loyalty, regret, but off they go to wander, verse 14, in the wilderness of Beersheba. I gather that this is a pretty tough environment, pretty inhospitable, pretty dry, pretty sparse in terms of vegetation and cover. 
Soon enough, predictably, the water is gone. Hagar puts her son under some bushes to shield him from the elements, and the scene is now entirely heart-rending. Verse 16, then she went and sat down opposite him a good way off about a distance of a bow shoot, for she said, let me not look on the death of the child. Evidently, both mother and child are now crying out in despair, crying out in fear, crying out for any kind of help. It's a tragic scene of vulnerability and isolation. But verse 17 is really quite beautiful. Notice it with me. And God heard the voice of the boy, and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, what troubles you, Hagar? And of course he knew. Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. Up, lift up the boy and hold him fast with your hand, for I will make him into a great nation. God heard. God saw. There was no one else there to help. They were totally alone, and there are those situations, are there not? where we can be isolated and vulnerable in our needs. Perhaps that's your situation in some measure today. Does anyone see? Does anyone hear? Does anyone care? Can anyone help? Well, God sees, He hears, He cares, and He can help. He sees every vulnerability. He hears every cry of heart. What a thought that is. What a truth. And hearing and seeing, he extends his kindness now. And he, it's clear that he does so in particular out of faithfulness to Abraham. That's very, very interesting. God had indicated this intention in verse 13. He's, he's going to make a nation out of Ishmael. This won't be the end of Ishmael's story. And he will do so because of Abraham, because he is Abraham's son. Now, Hagar and Ishmael, they've, they've left the covenant household. They've left the place of blessing. Ishmael has actually despised the son of the promise. Hagar is going to go and seek a wife for him from Egypt, and that's never a good thing, going down to Egypt. She's not going to seek a, a wife for him from the people of God. They're not inside the realm of God's salvation here. I, I think they've, they've stepped away. That's the symbolic significance. But God is still showing his kindness to them. He is doing it in a special sense on account of his promises to Abraham, and seeing that, observing it, it just expands our view and our understanding of God's faithful concern. I don't know the particulars of your circumstances, but I'm sure there are some with us today, some listening, who are in that very tough situation of having children or grandchildren who have walked away from the faith that they were once taught. They're off in the wilderness, as it were, and it burdens you. It grieves you. Well, in the midst of that heartache, don't imagine that God doesn't care about them anymore. The scene in the wilderness is a lovely picture of how God's faithful care follows people, even as they are traveling away from the household of faith. He hasn't forgotten them. They're not off His radar. Obviously, we need to pray for salvation to follow such people, and that's a serious matter. The story isn't telling us that God's salvation reaches every wanderer, but in practical terms, what kindness God shows. Verse 19, then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water, and she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink, and God was with the boy, and he grew up. He lived in the wilderness and became an expert with the bow. He lived in the wilderness of Paran, and his mother took a wife from the land of Egypt. The Lord made a way for this family, this mother and son. He made a future for him, gave him gifts and skills, and in earthly terms, he blessed him. 
And it shows us something of the faithfulness and the kindness of God that seems to almost overflow and spill over from the household of faith and even reach out into the wilderness. It's wonderful to see. We see another aspect of this too, God's faithfulness in practical matters, just briefly at the end of the chapter. You'll remember that Abraham got into some really hot water in the previous chapter with Abimelech. He deceived him. He almost caused Abimelech to fall under the full and immediate judgment of God. And Abraham got there because he was fearing what Abimelech, this unbelieving Gentile king, would do to him as he traveled through the land under his control. But what happens here is really quite wonderful. Abimelech notices that this man, Abraham, enjoys the blessing of God. This, this man sojourning in, in his land, as Abimelech would see it, this man has something special about him. And rather than resent that or want to persecute Abraham and drive him out, Abimelech is actually drawn to Abraham. In fact, he seems to have a kind of fearful respect for him. Notice it with me, verse 22. At that time, Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his army, said to Abraham, God is with you in all that you do. Now, therefore, swear to me here by God that you will not deal falsely with me or with my descendants or with my posterity, but as I have dealt kindly with you, so you will deal with me and with the land where you have sojourned. And Abraham said, I will swear. And so Abraham was shown favor. He and this Gentile king, they, they made a covenant together. And just notice how it all ends there. Verse 33, Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba, and called there on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God, and Abraham sojourned many days in the land of the Philistines. The Lord so worked in the situation, in the relationship, in the heart of this king, that Abraham was given peace and liberty to worship the Lord and to dwell for many days in the land of the Philistines. The Lord has taken this potentially very, very ugly situation, a relationship that started off on precisely the wrong foot. He has taken it all, and he has made a way for Abraham in this new land among a people who might well have been his enemies, who should have been his enemies. In the details, in the practicalities of life, in the providential provisions, God shows himself faithful. Friends, for you and for me, the big challenges of faith are not always to believe that God will save us in the end, that he will save us when we are knocking on eternity's door, save us from the fires of hell and welcome us into his eternal kingdom. Often the big challenges of faith for us come in the form of the practicalities of life in this world. Isn't that right? Isn't that so often the case? Aren't those so often the things that we really fret over and the things that stretch our faith the very most? Will God be with me? Will God go before me as I, as I move to a new place, as I start a new job? Will he watch over my children and my loved ones in these uncertain times? Can I trust him in my new season of uncertainty with health or with finances, with my family situation that just threatens to unravel before my eyes? Will he be faithful in all these things? And of course, there's no promise here that God is going to spare us all grief and all loss and all difficulty. No, that's not the promise of the passage. But this account, it shows us the full depth and breadth of the loving care and faithfulness of God, his faithfulness in the practicalities of life in this world. He, he has his finger on the details. He goes before us. He hears the cry. He sees the distress, even of those who are at present living in the wilderness. I don't know what other burdens of your heart today for the practicalities of life, the cares and the worries 
practicalities for your life, the life of those you love. But do you trust him in those things? Will you trust him? And will I? Jonathan Griffiths here on Encounter the Truth and part of a message called The God of Astounding Faithfulness. We're going to continue this next time, so I hope you'll make it a point to tune in. Well, Encounter the Truth is listener-supported. We depend on your generosity to keep this broadcast on this station. But as you give a gift of any amount this month, we want to say thank you by sending you a book called Hope in the Face of Suffering. It's written by Jeremy Marshall, and he was diagnosed with incurable cancer. Since then... He's been known for his ability to connect the difficulties that Christians face in this life with the deep-seated joy that is found in knowing Jesus. He's written about that in this book, Hope in the Face of Suffering. We'd love to send you a copy as you give a financial gift of any amount this month. You can find out more or give online when you come to EncounterTheTruth.org or call us at 833-99-TRUTH. That's 833-998-7884 or EncounterTheTruth.org. Thanks for listening, and I hope you'll join us next time.